We're back. And last Saturday, we got to work at an event called Giving Natives a Chance. What natives, you may ask? Hint, they're plants. And holy cow, we learned a ton about native plants. Welcome to Lingsploration Bay Area. Climate change. We look at it up, down, and sideways. We follow the links between climate change and so many other issues, and all of it with a local twist. Hi, this is Jean Rosenmeyer. Welcome to Lingsploration Bay Area. Today, We're at an event called Giving Natives a Chance, and we're going to get to work. But first, we're going to interview some of the people who are sponsoring this event. My name is Lisa Damrell, and I'm with the Contra Costa Resource Conservation District. And the Flood Control District puts on this event called Giving Natives a Chance every year. And we use the opportunity to plant right here along the Clayton Valley drain native plants. And we try to remove invasive plants. And we also pick up trash. So over the years, we've had some really good native plant establishment. And we plan to continue going. Do you always do it in the same place? So we do it in this stretch of the Clayton Valley drain, but I know that in 2018 or 2019, we started on the other end and worked our way this way. So we are working our way down and really focusing on this stretch of the Clayton Valley drain. That would be the stretch by this park, uh, Hillcrest Park. So Clayton Valley drain does not sound that attractive. Could you... So it does not sound very attractive, and actually you could probably talk a little bit more about that with the Flood Control District because it's one of their facilities, but basically it's a creek. We've talked a little bit about hopes for renaming it because it doesn't sound that great, but but yeah, so it's a creek and flows through Concord. Tell me who you are and what, a little bit about this event. Hi, my name is Tim Jensen, and I'm with Contra Costa County Flood Control District. I'm the Assistant Chief Engineer for the Flood Control District. Today we're at Giving the Natives a Chance, which is a native planting program that we started 11 years ago. We're over in Concord on one of our flood control channels, and this channel carries floodwaters from a pretty good-sized area of Concord out to Walnut Creek Flood Control Channel and then out to the Carquinas Straits. Okay, so I'm looking right over there, and there's a big concrete spillway. What is that? Why is that there? Do we have to have that? It makes the creek look, well, not like a creek. Typically, a natural creek is not straight like this flood control channel that we're at today. So that's one of the things that the old-style engineering that the Army Corps of Engineers did was we're going to make this water go straight and be efficient take up less land, etc. And the whole goal was to prevent flooding, but the science and the engineering at the time didn't really account for natural processes. Now, Army Corps of Engineers, flood control, all the agencies are trying to work with nature as much as possible. So there's, it's, it's a little bit challenging when you have homes 
uh, built right along a flood control channel to turn it back into a natural creek, but wherever possible, we are looking for those opportunities. One of the challenges is what we call concrete energy dissipator structures or drop structures. And those structures are made out of concrete. They usually have a kind of a wall on either side and then a little bit of a waterfall in the middle. And those can be a barrier for fish. If they're low enough, maybe three to four foot high, then the fish can jump up it. Once it gets higher than that, that's a lot more challenging. So there's uh, native fish, salmon and steelhead, that would be challenging for them to get in the upper watershed and do the spawning that they need to do. So there's been some uh, fish studies and some areas where we're finding that it is possible for fish to get in the upper watershed and some areas that it's not. I thought the water here was too warm for salmon. Yeah, that's another issue that's good to bring up. Part of the uh, legacy from the Army Corps of Engineers is our facilities were designed to have only grasses, no bushes, shrubs, no trees. Those kind of things slow down the water and often cause maintenance expense or things that our crews need to do to take care of trees. So the Army Corps of Engineers channels typically don't have trees in them. And you can't put them in is what you're saying? A normal natural creek is going to have a lot of trees and the water meanders back and forth. There's going to be deep pools and shallow areas. We call it pool and riffle complex. And those that's just perfect for fish to, to rest or to swim upstream when the water starts flowing. But these flood control channels that we have are not so conducive to that. So it typically would allow the water, especially during the summertime, to be warm and which discourages the fish from resting or, or migrating. So why here? Why not, I don't know, there's a lot of flood channels around. You know, I wasn't involved in the original process and the decision about that, but I think this one has a public trail right next to it. Parking's pretty good. And it's kind of centrally located in the county. So we started with an experiment. We wanted to you know, see how it works on the ground. So we had a small group of people come out and do some plantings and saw that that first year it worked. And we started having public events where we would invite people from the community to come out and learn the same thing that we learned about the importance of native plants. Would you like to tell us how you heard about this and why you're here? Sure. I live in Martinez and I'm part of the Friends of Alhambra Creek and it's, it's a creek group in Martinez. And I'm also on the John Muir Association board. And we're affiliated with the National Park Historic Site in Martinez, which is the John Muir House. So we have had several creek cleanups in Martinez. And we also help other creek groups with plantings or cleanups. And that's why I'm here. I want to say a few words about why you're here and uh, how you've how you on part of the scouts because like this is what scouts do we help people with help the environment you know do community service stuff so how did you hear about it um from one of our scout leaders at um at boy scouts that one night on monday where do you guys live um we we live in pleasant hill oh, okay you too yeah you're all in the same troop yeah mm -hmm. well 239 say it again 239 thank you <laughs> Can you tell me your name and what group you're with? My name is John Zetner. I'm the chairman of the board of the Restoration Trust. I'm one of the board members. 
Restoration Trust is a 501c3 nonprofit that specializes in helping local communities do restoration projects, mostly creeks and streams and wetlands, but also grasslands. So what are we planting here today? So what we're planting is Carex Barberae, also known as Valley Sedge or Santa Barbara Sedge. It was one of the most important plants in the riparian zone in California in the pre-Columbian period. The Native Americans used it for mostly for basketry. They called it white root because this plant has long rhizomes. And if you put the rhizomes between your teeth, which is what the Native American women did, and scrape the root through it, the root that comes out is very white. So they made baskets out of it. And if you look at a lot of the museums that are around and you look at the baskets, if they tell you the source material, it'll say white root. So we've worked with a lot of First Peoples tribes as well doing carriage barberry restoration because it's also just a great plant in these kinds of settings because it's a perennial. So unlike the non-native annuals, it stays green all year round. So it suppresses fires. You don't have a fire issue when you've got an area dominated by Santa Barbara sedge. It's great for wildlife habitat. There's a lot of native butterflies that really like this plant. Give me an example. Even though it's more on another plant, the pipevine swallowtail is a really good indicator for this species. You have to think hard about the other ones. I'm not a, I'm a botanist, <laughs> not a lepidopterist. The rhizomes are really lengthy, so it's a great erosion control plant as well. And it finally just does well in these kinds of settings. So that's the idea. Replace the non-native Mediterranean-based annuals with a California native that also provides a lot of benefits. I thought it needed to have wet roots, but it looks like we're planting pretty far up the bank. In the Central Valley, yeah, it does. You generally find it down right near the riparian areas. But in the Bay Area, because the summers are so mild, you can find it on slopes nowhere near water. Does it grow all over the Bay Area then? It, I've seen it everywhere from really some of the taller hilltops all the way down to the bottom of the creeks. But because it's a perennial, during the, the late 1700s, early 1800s, there were thousands and thousands of cattle and other sock animals in this area. And in the summer, in the fall, the non-native annuals are dead. So there's no forage values. So this Santa Barbara sedge and the creeping wild rye, which is another widespread native, were almost completely extirpated by all the cattle that the Spanish brought in. I thought the European ryegrass was a perennial. Is that not true? Okay, so now you're, this is why we kind of tend to use Latin. I think what you're referring to, European ryegrass, is Lollium perenni, which is a non-native Mediterranean it can be a biennial. It's been used a lot for erosion control. But the native wild rye, Lamus triticoides, is a <laughs> perennial. And actually, we had planted Lamus triticoides up there last year, and you can still see a lot of it up there. So it, it generally likes floodplain terraces, so it likes a little bit more friable, sandier soil. And this soil is pretty heavy duty, so we're just switching to valley sedge all the way through I thought the local grasses were bunch grasses. Is this a bunch grass? No. So you get, um, and that's actually kind of a, just a fallacy. So within the Bay Area, you generally only find the bunch grasses. And here I'm going to get, go to the Latin, the Sella pulchra and the Sella lepida and those guys, in relatively thin-soiled areas. So like on hillsides with relatively thin soil, there you'll find the bunch grasses in the Bay Area. Like on the slopes of Mount Diablo? Yeah, like on the slopes of Mount Diablo. Exactly. Oh, that's why I'm this... I'm confused about it. Yeah, but it's also, once you get outside the Bay Area, it's very different. So if you go up to, for example, Point Reyes or Sea Ranch, you're going to see a lot of Danthonia, California, California oak grass, which is a really nice bunch grass. Uh, you find them also down really near the coast, like Pacifica. 
And then once you get in the Central Valley, then you see some more of what we think of as the typical kind of bunch grasses. But even our understanding of that whole situation has changed tremendously because as we've been able to access more and more of the early explorers, early botanist stuff, it's pretty clear that the Central Valley, the lowland part of it, which was mostly a big wetland, was probably mostly creeping wild rye. And you don't see bunch grasses until you get way uphill on some of the slopes looking down. And in fact, people, really good botanists like Glenn Holstein, have theorized that those areas weren't bunch grass dominated. They were dominated more by forbs, late summer flowering forbs like the tar plants. The thing about restoration that's great is you can clear an area out. You can do all kinds of things to get rid of the non-natives. But then once you put the natives in, if they don't thrive, that tells you something about what was there originally. If you're putting bunch grasses in a site in the Central Valley that's a lowland site with deep soils, they're not going to thrive. I mean, it's taken us 10 years to figure that out, but it's also because there's just a lot of bad information out there, specifically in California, about bunch grasses. Did you work on the Lower Walnut Creek restoration? Yes and no. I worked on it in the sense of flood control asked me about certain parts of it, but most of that what's going on there is a commercial project, so the, the trust isn't involved at all. What other projects are you working on? Oh, gosh. So we're doing a bunch of stuff for the uh, Walnut Creek Watershed Coalition. So we've got projects in Pleasant Hill, Walnut Creek, and Lafayette. We're looking at projects in Concord. We've done work in kind of Danville with the Friends of San Ramon Creek. But the Friends of San Ramon Creek have have gotten so proficient at what they're doing, they don't need my help. I come in there once a year just to talk to them and say how they're doing. Those guys are just doing great. Lafayette the same way. The Lafayette Creeks Committee is just taken off and they're doing all kinds of exotic eradication and restoration work. Pleasant Hill, the Friends of Pleasant Hill Creeks, they're more oriented towards some of the kind of policy issues that the city is dealing with, but they're also doing a lot of restoration planning. So there's just a ton of, and then uh, the Friends of Concord Creeks have just started up, so we're talking with them about restoration as well. I think they're going to be really exciting to work with in the next few years. And then we've got other projects. The Trust has other projects in Solano County, Sonoma County. Okay, I have to ask it. Where do beavers fit in? Well, you know, we're coming out of an era in which channels like this were managed for flood control purposes. And so they were just kept completely clean, often with chemicals. And so especially you still see that, for example, in Alameda County. And if you look at a flood channel in Alameda County, the banks are bare and eroding. And that's not an environment that beavers are going to expand into. So over the last 30 years, as the flood control districts and Contra Costa County is just a great example of a very progressive, forward-thinking, yet effective flood control district, you're seeing more natural channels evolve in these kind of old flood control channels. And as those things start to happen, beavers start moving in. I mean, we've had beavers in the Delta and in California for centuries. So they are perfectly capable of expanding their range, like into Martinez. So when that happens, then you have issues that you have to deal with in terms of flood control, because beavers build dams. And a lot of the times the dams they build disappear in the flood, so they're okay, but it's still a situation that's going to make a flood control engineer nervous because they don't know it's going to disappear. So I've had beavers in a number of our projects, a number of our riparian projects, and there are a number of tools you can use to make those dams somewhat effective. So, for example, you can take the dam apart, the the beavers will rebuild it, but before they rebuild it, you can put a roll of 
chicken wire or uh, hog wire, excuse me, in a roll through where the dam is, the beavers will still build around it, but you still get flow going through it. There are a lot of tools for dealing with beavers. I think they're a great addition to the environment. Beavers, river otters, you know, they're just, they're fantastic. There's nothing like seeing a beaver or a river otter in an area that you've been working on as a restoration project. Oh my God. It's great proof that what you're doing has meaning and importance. Well, thank you. That's a good place to end it. Okay, thanks. And that's it for our morning with Native Sedges. Hope you were taking notes because there's going to be a quiz later. Ha, just kidding. Coming up, we'll have update episodes on the Martinez refinery situation, on the new rules for rooftop solar, and there's more to the Inflation Reduction Act. Feel free to email us with topic suggestions and comments and complaints, what you like, what you didn't. We love to hear from you. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. Linksploration Bay Area is an independent podcast. Find, subscribe, and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is linksploration.com, where you can listen to our archives, and there's also show notes, photos, and links to our guests. If you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at linksploration at gmail.com, and that's spelled L-I-N-K-S-P-L-O-R-A-T-I-O-N. Look for us on social media, also on Patreon. We are not in this to make money, but we do welcome donations to help with the cost of keeping the podcast on the air. We're Gene and Christy signing off. Until next time, thanks for listening.